0: It was fall in Minnesota, it was getting cold, and we were supposed to die. This is how Hubert Jolie describes the early, dark days as CEO of Best Buy, a job most thought he was crazy to accept. Amazon was tearing a disruptive path through retail, but in the face of that existential threat, Jolie did something remarkable. He saved Best Buy and remade it into a thriving company. Rated as one of the most desirable businesses to work for. Hey, it's Dustin, and you're listening to the Burleson Box. We'll be back in a moment to talk with Hubert Jolie about his book, The Heart of Business, Leadership Principles for the Next Era of Capitalism. But first, here's a message from our sponsor.
1: Are you trying to increase your treatment plan close rates while also increasing revenue? How can you do both for your dental practice without burning out an already burdened staff? The answer, remote dental monitoring. You need a trusted HIPAA compliant app that helps you and your staff work smarter, not harder. This needs to be an easy to use, easy onboard app that your patients will find fun to use and will increase their engagement and success with aligners. You need the InHand Dental app, the InHand Dental app allows you to engage with your patients in real time, send individual and batched messages, and solve problems to increase compliance without using up chair time. The result? Happy patients, happy staff, and happy practices, with more revenue and the ability to do more starts. With prices starting as low as $149 a month, it's perfect for a growing aligner business. Check us out and learn more at InHandDental.com. Plus, mention Burleson for a 20% off discount on your subscription when you contact us. That's InHandDental.com.
0: Hubert Jolie is a senior lecturer at the Harvard Business School and former chairman and chief executive officer of Best Buy. He's also a member of the board of directors Johnson & Johnson and Ralph Lauren Corporation, a member of the International Advisory Board of ATC Paris and a trustee of the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Jolie has been recognized as one of the top 100 CEOs in the world by Harvard Business Review, one of the top 30 CEOs in the world by Barron's, and one of the top 10 CEOs in the United States by Glassdoor. On today's episode, Hubert and I discuss a remarkable turnaround by a leader with a remarkable philosophy. Find your noble purpose. Put people at the center. Unleash human magic. I'm excited to share these lessons with you and more on another episode of The Burleson Box. Today, we're honored to have Hubert Jolie on the program. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you, Dustin. It's a pleasure.
0: For those of our listeners who don't know, back in 2012, you took Best Buy from a company that... Amazon was supposed to kill, <laughs> and you took it into a once again thriving, growing retailer. You actually partnered with Amazon itself, and you staffed it with dedicated, fired-up employees, and all of us know the case study by now. In the next seven years, you actually passed the CEO baton at Best Buy, had recorded six straight years of growth. Earnings had tripled, the share price which before you took over slouched in the single digits by 2012. And at the end of your tenure, it reached all the way to $80 a share. What an incredible accomplishment and turnaround is really one for the history books. Um, I'm curious the backstory though. I read in the book when your friend who leads the North American CEO practice at Spencer Stewart, a global executive search company, he asked you if you'd be interested in becoming the next CEO of Best Buy. And you told him he was crazy. (laughs) Can you walk us through that decision? What made you want to take over that massive turnaround challenge at Best Buy?
2: You're you're, you're very kind. And you're right, Dustin. My response to him is, Jim, you're crazy, right? Uh I have no retail experience in the place, which used to be a great company. I had followed their growth. But it was was a mess. It uh, It was strategic challenges, right? With Amazon and the Internet, you know, going to kill Best Buy, a number of uh, tech companies developing their own stores like uh, Apple, but also uh, Microsoft and Sony. Uh, operational challenges, frankly, the quality of service had gone down. Leadership challenges, my predecessor had been fired. And then shareholder challenges, as you mentioned, and the, plus the founder was trying to take the company private. So this was this was bad. But Jim is a good friend. He said, no, Hubert, you... You should at least take a look, because I think this one is for you. You have this wonderful turnaround experience. They're not looking for a retailer. So do me a favor, uh, take a look. And and so I did. <laughs> and uh, what I saw, because I was neither crazy nor suicidal at the time, uh, <laughs> what I saw is that it's two things. One, the, the world actually needed Best Buy. You know, we as customers, we we love technology and we can buy stuff online, but if it's if it's too new, too complex, it's helpful to see the stuff and be able to ask questions to real human beings. And then the vendors actually needed Best Buy because not everybody can develop their stores like Apple has done. And they need a place, they spend billions of dollars in R&D and they need a place to showcase the fruit of that investment. And if uh, you just see a vignette on Amazon or online or you know a box at Walmart, you cannot see what's exciting about the new product. Think about uh, speakers or headphones. You cannot test the sound quality online or at Walmart or a TV, right? Picture quality is important. The only place in the world where you can see a TV, you know, picture quality is in, in store. So the, the the customers and the vendors needed Best Buy and the problems were not, you know, caused by any you know outside force. The previous team was complaining about headwinds, right? And I said there's no headwind, right? You look at Amazon and Apple, they're thriving. So if the win is not the problem, we must be the problem. And I saw that all of the problems were actually self-inflicted, and that was great news because if it's self-inflicted, then, you know, you can decide to fix this. And so I developed the sense, Dustin, that uh, this could be turnaround and this could be fun to do it. Plus, it'd be, you know, a large organization, more than 100,000 employees and important in communities, so it was worth it, right, to save this big, iconic, company headquartered in in Minneapolis I lived in Minneapolis at the time and so I thought uh, let's do it
0: I love it you know and it was a contrarian viewpoint because everyone was pointing towards online and you even partnered with Jeff Bezos he he agreed I believe reading the book that people do want to see televisions and appliances and headphones they want to see them in person but everyone, everyone around you was saying, no, 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 it has to all be online. Can you talk about what, what was that like with the whatever leadership team that did exist at the board? You know, how hard was it to, to turn that ship?
2: I, oh, my God, it was so hard, right? Which is why we got paid all of this. <laughs> it was, you know, it will remain as one of the greatest experiences, personal and professional experience of my life, as well as I think the, the life of. the the people of of Best Buy, which was good, Dustin, is that, uh, you know, Best Buy had great genes, great bones. This is a company that was founded in uh, Minneapolis, in St. Paul, Minnesota in 1966. And I had known Best Buy when I was, at some point I was the CEO of a a, uh, video game company. Uh, And so I used to call on Best Buy to sell such games. Uh, some Some of you may be familiar with World of Warcraft. Well, I greenlit World of Warcraft in 2000 or launching Diablo 2 or Half-Life. And so Best Buy had been this great uh, uh, company. So the, the customer focus, the focus on... But what happened is that from 2009, it's interesting how leadership does matter, right? I think everybody in your audience, in your members know this, right? There was, a, you know, it's, sometimes people make mistakes. A CEO was appointed, didn't work out, focused on the wrong things. And, and so it they lost their focus. And so... You know, the, the, the secret of the turnaround was at first to fix what was broken. And there was a lot that was broken. So we made sure that uh, the prices were competitive, that the online shopping experience was, you know, solid. Uh, you know, one of the blue shirts, which is a, a salespeople, you know, told me, uh, I spent my first week on the job working in stores, listening to the employees. One of them told me, Uber, do you know that the search engine on the site is not working? I told him, what do you mean it's not working? Well, he said, oh, type Cinderella, you'll get Nikon cameras. I know <laughs> times, it but it's not quite the same. And so we, uh, we uh, only made sure the prices were competitive. We empowered the blue shirts to match Amazon prices. We invested in the online shopping experience. We invested in the supply chain to make sure we shipped as fast as Amazon. And then we invested in the... Uh, shopping experience in the stores, investing in giving the tools to the associates so that they could win. We partnered with the world's foremost tech companies. And back to the point about showcasing, we enabled all of these tech companies to have a store within our stores. And you see that when you visit a Best Buy store now, there's an Apple store, a Microsoft store, Sony, Samsung, LG, Google, Amazon, you know, Facebook, they all, they all do products. So we Uh, Canon, Nikon, and so forth, which was good for the customers, good for these companies, and good for us. And then we took about $2 billion of cost out because we we need to improve our cost competitiveness. So so that's the what. But the most important thing, and I think everybody in your members will know this, right, was actually the how and the focus on people, right? The fact that we – in a turnaround, sometimes people tell you, you, you know, and that's what people were telling me, cut, 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 right? People are the problem. You need to get rid of people as if it was going to solve the problem. No, we flipped it and we said we need to listen to the frontliners, give them the tools they need. So it was people first from that standpoint. Give them confidence, give them the tools. People first also. we changed. I changed a big part of the team at the top. In a large organization, fish rot from the head. So Mao Zedong said that. (laughs) You have to clean it up. So that's what we did. Uh, Also... From a people standpoint, you know, in a turnaround, my view is you first focus on growing the revenue, which you do with, with people. And then as you're going to cut costs, you don't start with headcount. In fact, you finish with headcount. We first went after what I call non-salary expenses. So in the cost structure, so if you look at your p this at Best Buy, most of the cost structure is not people. It's, so to give you an example, at Best Buy, do we sell a lot of TVs? Yes, we do. They're big, they're thin. So they break. We break for about $200 million per year at the time wow. of TVs, right? <laughs> so if you can reduce the, what we call the TV junk out by 50%, you, you save $100 million. And it's good for the customers and good for, for, for us. And the way you do it is you, you work with the vendors on packaging and uh, you know, the supply chain. You make sure nothing gets – you tell the, the customers how to transport them. You deliver it for them. Uh, and so forth, and you only cut headcount as a last resort. So you treat people as the source, not as a problem. You don't treat them as a resource. It's not, a, you know, it's not an input. It's the essence of the business. The key philosophy behind the resurgence of Best Buy is to see a company as an organization made of individuals working together in pursuit of a goal. And the goal, by the way, I'm gonna maybe surprise some. It's not to make money, right? You have to make money, of course, because otherwise, you know, you cannot run the business. But you treat profit as an outcome, as opposed to the goal, and you focus first on people, then customers. If you do well with your team and your customers, then you do well with the, uh, uh, with, with the, with the shareholders. So that's what we did at the beginning. You know this. This was there was multiple phases but the, the beginning was key and this this was the philosophy
0: it was tremendously successful but again i think the opposite of most turnaround playbooks they usually start by cutting human capital don't they
2: cut cut cut. that's the and we you need to do the opposite yeah it starts with people listen mobilize as leaders so here's another thought uh, in physics so You guys are doctors, medical professionals, so you're you're very scientific, right? So so in physics, energy is a finite quantity, right? You cannot create energy. Well, in a human organization, you actually can. And so a big part of the turnaround was to create energy. And so how do you create energy? One is um, at the beginning, we co-created the plan. So this was not me as the smartest person in the room trying to impress everybody on how smart I was. We took 30 or 50 people and we worked together for two months. We didn't have much time Uh, and we co-created the plan. And then I ask everybody, are you guys committed? If you're not committed, I'm not going to go to Wall Street with the plan. You know, we'll just end it. Uh, And then you have another uh, theory, which I call the bicycle theory. So if you ask yourself, have you tried to direct a bicycle at standstill, you can't, right? You fall. But if if the bicycle is moving, it doesn't matter if it's not moving exactly in the, the right direction because you can adjust course. So once we had laid out the big principles of the plan, it was all about moving forward. So the, I put tension in the system asking that in everything we were doing, this month would be better than the last month, or this month would be better than the same months last year. And you, you measure your progress. You celebrate victories. Is there's failures, you talk about it openly. Maybe we'll talk later the importance of the principle of vulnerability. Say it's okay to say, my name is Hubert, and I don't know how to solve this problem. Or my name is Hubert, and I need help. As a leader, this is much more powerful than to try to have all of the answers. So that's how, that, these are some of the ways you create, uh, you create energy.
0: And... In the book, you share a great story that in 2019, other leaders were mystified by this turnaround. They'd ask if you had changed the entire sales force. And that was a question when I saw, I, I remember reading in the news, go, wow, Best Buy has really totally turned this around. I wonder if they got a whole new sales force. I wonder how that works. So they actually wanted to know if your employees had some sort of sp- special customer service gene. Uh, <laughs> what did you tell those leaders at the G100?
2: No, I said we did change people at the top, as I mentioned, but the rest of the organization is, of course, some turnover, which, by the way, we reduced significantly. But, but no, we did not try to find people with a special gene. The whole thing, and, it, and it's, if you step back, this is actually quite magical. And I learned so much during these years, and I'm sure that, you know, if we were going to flip it and I was listening to your audience, I would learn from them as well. So I'm not the only one who's got a, a, a point of view here. But I'm going to tell you a story. Um, maybe a couple of years ago, a mother and her young child come to one of our stores, and the young child for the holidays had had a, uh, as a gift, he had had a uh, dinosaur toy. And unfortunately, the dinosaur toy was broken. So the, the, the dinosaur was was uh, ill, you know, in many ways, right? <laughs> so you go to a normal store, they would maybe send you, direct you to the Toy aisle, and, and you know, with luck, maybe there's a uh, another dinosaur toy that's still available for sale, and then they, they would sell you a replacement, or maybe if it's you know defective, they, they would uh, uh, just replace it. But there's two associates in the store. What they did is they uh, went behind a counter. You guys will relate to this because of your profession, and for those of you who've seen the the Amazon series. Uh, good doctor, they actually performed a surgical procedure on the sick dinosaur, behind the counter, explaining to the child, who was on the other side, what they were doing. And then, of course, at the last minute, they substituted a, a, a brand new dinosaur, but it was <laughs> actually a cured dinosaur and gave the dinosaur back to the child. Imagine the joy of her mother and the joy of the child. Exactly. Now. Justin, do you believe for a second that there was a standard operating procedure, an SOP, as we say in retail, (laughs) describing how to deal with the situation? Was there a memo from me on how you would handle? No, of course not. (laughs) And so that's what I call human magic, where on their own volition, their own instincts, you have at scale, 100,000 people, do something that defies any logic and any expectation. And, that, that, you know, when I learned about that story, I was blown away and it made, gave me the sense that we were succeeding. And I think today when you walk into a place-by store, there's an energy, people have a spring in their steps. So the question then is, how do you create this environment in which human magic happens? Would you like to ask me that question, Dustin?
0: Yes. How did you create that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Very convenient. I, I, I think it starts, it actually starts with a philosophy about why do we work? So we go back to, you know, uh, metaphysics or religion. Is work a curse because some dude, you know, sinned in paradise? Uh is it a, uh, a chore? Is it something we do so that we can do something else? Or is work part of our fulfillment as human beings, part of our quest for meaning, part of the idea of we're here on this planet, whether you believe it, because from a religious standpoint or just as a human being, to do good to other people, you know, to, to, for work to be part of our the meaning of our life. Sometimes people talk about work-life balance as if life was outside of work. I don't know about you guys, but I work a lot, not 100% of the time, but it's a big part of my life. So if if my work is not part of my quest for meaning of, of how I want to be remembered, you know, it's it's a sad situation. So you start with this. And then it's a philosophy that business actually is aligned with this. And at the heart of business, as per the, the title of the book, you have the idea that Business is here to pursue a noble purpose, not make a profit. Profit is an outcome that people are the center and are really the, the, the source and the engine of the business. And it's by building genuine, authentic, loving uh, human connections with customers, with vendors, with the community and with the shareholders that you create magic. And that then you create this environment where everybody can feel they belong and they can blossom and profit is just an outcome. So that's the, that's the essence uh, of, the, of the philosophy. I think it's completely obviously the opposite of the theory of Milton Friedman, you know, from 1970, where he you know, said that the only responsibility of a business is to, uh, uh, to, to create shareholder value. I think he's deeply wrong. I think that given all of the problems in the world, you know, the, the focus on profit is, is a source of a lot of the problems. Even though it's a necessity, but you have to not be confused between a necessity uh, and and a goal, and what is the the purpose. So that's the overall philosophy. So then, if you embrace that philosophy, there is implications on how you do it. But that's that's the core, Dustin. I want to
0: I want to dig into that because there's I place you in a, a elite group of leaders who see the world accurately. So many CEOs and business and political leaders see this through Milton Friedman's eyes, which is just more profit, more profit, more shareholder value. It was a cartoon I saw probably in the New Yorker. It said, um, yes, we destroyed the world, but we really created some great shareholder value there for a few years. (laughs) I want (laughs) to, I want to talk about your personal journey because you share some of that in the book. When you reached your first mountaintop back, you said back in 2004, you found it desolate And and you cite some really great resources um, like the spiritual exercises of Ignatius De Loyola, Bill George's book "Discover Your True North," and I—we're listening to this now. But you're on video, and I can—I can spy a great book behind you called, called "Aligned" by a great executive coach. Can you kind of share how you came to that? Because I don't think a lot of leaders are at your level.
2: Well, I, I think maybe more than um, you know you would guess. If I look at uh, many of my peers leading companies, I'm actually in awe of how they they lead. But let me answer your question about how, about my own journey, because I think how we lead is, how we lead is so personal. And, and in many ways, before we can lead others, we have to shape who we want to be as a leader. How do we want to be remembered? Uh, and what kind of a leader we want to be? I think that's a very personal question. It's the same question as what's the meaning of our life. So yes, in in the early two I'd been quite successful. You know, I'd been a partner with McKinsey & Company. I'd been the the president of uh, EDS, Electronic Data System, in France. I'd be the CEO of a video games company. Um, and so in many ways, I had climbed that first mountain, and, and uh, it felt empty. And so um, I spent time, I decided, oh, so it's not good, right? I have to to hit the pause button here. And in this pandemic, right, if you cannot go outside, you have to go inside. And I think spirituality and reflection and taking time with ourselves. It's so important. So I think if, if any message from today that I would leave is uh, spend time with yourself every day and at different different point in time. For me, the, the spiritual exercises of Ignatius of Loyola was very important in, in really trying to discern my calling. And to your point, that was not shareholder value. That was not an earnings per share number. And imagine if I had gone to Best Buy and said, it's going to be very exciting. We're going to double the earnings per share. I think everybody at the company would have yawn and say, this guy's crazy, right? I mean, it, who cares? I maybe mean, of course we need to save the company, but it's not about earnings per share. And so, uh, and there's this other great book by Viktor Frankl, uh, you know, Man's uh, Search for Meaning. The book, aligns that you talk about, I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's by Hortense Le Gentile, who's indeed uh, one of the world's foremost executive leadership coaches. She's also my wife, so I'm completely objective, but it's a... <laughs> Great! Uh, it's a great book about discovering who you are and, and connecting your true self with the leader you're meant to be. And I'll say, so bring this to work. So a turning point, I'm going to give you two stories. Uh, at some point during our journey, so probably in 2016, uh, every quarter with my team, we would you know go off-site and work on the strategy and the changes and the progress and so forth. And one time over dinner, I'd ask everyone to bring a picture of themselves when they were two, three, or four years old. And then during dinner, we shared our life stories and discussed, shared with each other what drives us, what was the mean, the, our purpose in life, how we want to be remembered. And that was a turning point because we really got to know each other at a much more profound level. And then we discovered that at least for 80% of us, and there may have been 10 or 12 of us around the table, that our purpose in life was to do something good in the world, of course, as human beings, right? What else is there, whether it's for your family or your community or people around you? And so then we said, well, because we're the leadership team of Best Buy and we were working on the long-term strategy, You know, how do we accelerate the growth of the company once the turnaround turn had been done? Uh, we said, well, let's have Best Buy be part of that story, right? Because we, as leaders, we get to shape these are human organizations. As leaders, we get to shape what, uh, what the company should be about. So that was a turning point. The other story is a, there's, there's a store general manager in Boston. And it's what inspired by one of the district managers there. Uh, the store general manager would ask every one of the associates in his store, uh, typically 100 people, uh, individually, what is your dream? At Best Buy or outside of Best Buy, tell me about what is your dream? And he said, okay, let's write it down in the break room. And then my goal as the manager of the store is to work with you to ensure that you achieve your dream. And so part of human magic is when you can connect what drives each individual on your team with the purpose of the company. That's a game changer. Talking about purpose is very fashionable these days. Every company is trying to write it down. What is their purpose? And I think that's really good, and that's very powerful. We can talk about this. The magic happens when each individual can connect their purpose with the purpose of the uh, of the company. So that's and so that's this leadership progression, right? And it's uh, learning to lead with all of our body parts. Many of us were trained to lead with our brain, right? All of you, I'm sure, on this show, this uh, this group, are very smart, and I was a culprit of that. But I think. Uh, Through this multifaceted crisis, we're learning that we have to lead with all of our body parts, our brain, our heart, our soul, our guts, our ears, our eyes, our hands, uh, and so forth.
0: Now, a quick word from our sponsor. Dr. Burleson here. You've heard that real estate should be a part of every investor's portfolio, but maybe you're unsure where to start. My good friend and colleague, Dr. David Phelps, leads an investor community that has ditched the traditional Wall Street model for the stability of real estate assets. They are called Freedom Founders, and they do real estate really, really well. David's Freedom Blueprint reveals exactly how much you need to retire. Some of my top clients have done the program, they speak highly of David. In his Freedom Blueprint. With the certainty of their passive real estate investments, Freedom Founders members are free to spend more time with family or even lead the practice altogether. David has put together some special resources for my listeners. To access, just text Dustin to 972 203 6960 or go to freedomfounders.com forward slash Burleson. And now back to the program. You, I think you know in the book you list some some really compelling evidence on I think why a lot of firms are getting this wrong. And you talk about I think almost eight out of ten workers are merely showing up for work; they're not fully engaged. And I and I want to pivot that into how you you use this as a framework. You and the leadership, the rest of the leadership team at Best Buy didn't just. Um, Give it lip service. You actually built this into a framework on how you would pursue new projects and how you would deliver results, and it's really inspiring. Can you talk a little bit about about that framework?
2: Yeah, because the the uh, you know the 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 results that Best Buy has achieved over the last eight years they, they they're not logical. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, we were supposed to die. Yeah. And Yet today, you know, the place is considered as a model of Retailing and, and we're not perfect. You know, We, the, the place is so big that every day you know, mistakes happen, right? But it's still, it's a transformed uh, place. And the, the, the key building blocks around that where once we were done with the turnaround was the articulation of our purpose as an organization, number one. And we said, we're actually not a retailer. We're certainly not a big box retailer. And we said, uh, as a company... Our purpose is to enrich lives through technology by addressing uh, key human needs like uh, entertainment, communication, health. You guys are in the health sector, um, productivity, working from home or learning from home. That's that's why we exist. Um, and and that was transformative because it did a number of things. One, it's of course inspiring for people working at the company. Also, vastly expands the addressable market. That's how we got into the health space, helping aging seniors stay in their home, live in their home longer with the help of technology. You know, we put sensors under the bed, under the sofa, in the kitchen, the bathroom, fall detection. And with remote monitoring and artificial intelligence and and our care centers, we can detect whether something bad is happening. And that is not sold through our stores. So it's a new, completely new growth uh, 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 opportunity. So, Defining the purpose is really important, and you see that. Imagine Mayo Clinic, right? Great uh, hospital system in Minnesota. If they think of themselves as a brick and mortar retailer—not retailer, uh, retailer brick and mortar hospital system—they're limited in their footprint. But if they can uh, say, "No, we're in the wellness health, health and wellness business, and with technology, we can help patients around the world," then it vastly expands what they what they can do. So that was the first ingredient, of course you cannot just stop at writing down the purpose. You have to translate it into specific strategic initiatives that are going to impact what you do for customers and how you operate the business. So I mentioned our health strategy at Best Buy. There was also another example, our in-home advisor program. And all of you can in the U.S. can take advantage of this. If the need that you have is too complex to be handled online or in the stores, like you're redoing your family room or your kitchen you know, your Passio, we'll come to you for free. We'll send you one of our foremost designers. They'll have a conversation with you in your home because that's the best place where to figure out what you want. And then they'll create a proposal. And then, you know, if you want, then we'll implement it. So that, you know, in a sense is making us your CIO or CTO for your home, which is, I think, what many of us uh, need. And so you need to translate the purpose into strategic initiatives. But then importantly... You need to create the environment that uh, creates the kind of dinosaur magic I was talking about. Uh, and th- the, so if I take the parable of the sword, you guys are going to think I'm, I'm a religious fanatic. I, I, like probably many of you, I have a spiritual life, but that's I'm using stories to illustrate the point. You don't need to be religious to believe this. So the parable of the sower, as, you, as some of you may remember, if you plant a seed, in the, a seed in the rocks or in the bushes, it's not going to grow. You need a fertile ground. So it's to create this environment where people can connect their purpose to the purpose of the company. It's an environment also where there's true human connections. So I want to tell another story, Dustin. So um, there was an associate in one of our stores. He once told me that uh, his life changed the day a manager recognized him and took an interest in him as a human being. And that led him to, uh, to grow significantly. And so my compatriot, originally from France, René Descartes, the philosopher of the Cartesian philosophy, right, said once, I think, therefore I am. I think he's wrong. It's I am seen, therefore I am. Right. This young associate felt he was seen. He existed. He could be himself and he could grow. And that takes for you, for everybody listening who is a leader, that means all of you. That means creating the environment where these human connections can happen. So another story: Cami, uh, head of HR, once disclosed that for years she had suffered from depression. Who says this? As the leader of a you know Fortune 50 or Fortune 100 company, aren't you supposed to be you know all powerful and superhero? No. She said, I suffered from depression, like probably 20% in any organization of people um, suffer from some kind of mental illness. That triggered a response from the organization say, oh, me too. And oh, what can I do for you? So that created this human bond. And so this is the kind of ingredients. And there's more stories like this, more ingredients like this in the book that talk about what we as leaders can do to create this magical uh, environments.
0: I like that. Um, just kind of the vision of creating fertile ground, and you really did that at Best Buy. It totally transformed, and I and that's probably one of the key moments I really started paying attention to you and Best Buy when you started offering those in-home kind of consultative, as you described. I said, like, "That's so smart because you can't get that anywhere else." That's such. Thank a- you opportunity. Uh, Very, very wise. Um, I love, I want to highlight some things because I know the listeners are always taking notes and, and as they have the book, they're going through their study guide, but simply asking your employees, what is your dream? How few firms do that? You know, it's such a, but that's, that's really the essence of the book, right? This is about building a business around purpose and humanity. And you've done that so very, very well. I'm curious. I know, I mean, you're clearly an astute Business leader, uh, you teach at Harvard Business School. You know what are some things you see other firms doing that you know where they're making mistakes in those areas, or maybe what are some pitfalls the listeners can avoid when they say, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna make sure we're not hyper focused on profit at any cost."
2: What, what mistakes happen? Is, is that your question?
0: Yeah, some mistakes you see happening, and maybe maybe perhaps how we can avoid. That. And and really, most of the interview has been about that. But I think it's a it's, yeah. it's Important to highlight.
2: Yeah. So I'll, I'll, the way I'll respond to this question, Dustin, is by describing what was hard, right? Because when you say these things, everybody is going to say, probably most people will say, that makes sense. Yep. That's what I want to do. I mean, that's certainly a journey I've been on for many years. But the fact that it's easy to say and understand doesn't mean it's not hard to do. Exactly. So, what were some of the challenges? One was uh, capacity. Uh, and I had made a mistake. Because uh, I was telling the team, "Look, that's where we're going. That's what we want to do. That's what that's the vision of what good looks like. Let's just do it." <laughs> and that was ridiculous. Because Best Buy, you know, is a large organization, and of course, every one of your organization, you know, given your size, it, it's a big deal to manage it. You have customers every day. You know, at Best Buy, it's hundred thousand people, forty four billion dollars in revenue. It's a big deal to manage it. So I could not expect people responsible for running the business to be at the same time reinventing the business. So that was the first mistake. The way we fixed that was by creating on the side what I called a strategic growth office. It was led by one of our foremost executives, Corey Barry, who then became the CEO of the company. That's how good she was. And they had the opportunity to focus on designing and testing and then scaling the new initiatives. And so that was the... um, the first mistake in how we tackled it. The second thing is was a shortfall of understanding. So we had this purpose: enrich life through technology by addressing key human. I mean, that's a mouthful. And so, you know, the blue shirts, the hundred thousand people were looking at this and say, "What does it mean for me? What am I supposed to do with that?" And so, the game changer was when we we picked forty or sixty of our most highly respected middle managers, so not officers, but maybe directors, senior directors, junior officers maybe. Uh, and we asked them, make it palatable, make it concrete. And they, make it, they made it so simple. They said, what we're trying to do with, for our customers is to be an inspiring friend. And uh, that translated into training in the store. So one day we shut down all of the stores for a few hours, and there was a training uh, and the training was around two things. That's an exercise you could do within your organization. And we, uh, So no big presentation, no PowerPoint, two questions. In small groups, share with each other your life story. Uh, and I was paired with a young woman. She had been in an abusive relationship. She had been homeless. Best buy for her was our family. I mean, all of a sudden, I saw her as a human being, not as an employee. Yeah. It was a game changer. And second, think in your life about an inspiring friend. Hopefully, everybody is an inspiring friend in their life, hopefully. For me, it's my older brother, Philip. He's, he's just amazing. I'd like you to meet him. And then we said, okay, so what we're trying to do is simply be human beings to our customers and be an inspiring friend. So when, you, when somebody comes in to buy a TV, don't go through a script of how to sell a TV. Get to know them as a human being. What are they going to use the TV for? You know, do they have a family? Do they have kids? Is it to, to play video games? Uh, and then sell to them as if they were your best friend or your grandmother. Uh, you know, your sister's best friend. Be human and connect at a very human level. So that made it really uh, 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 real for. Uh, so these were some of the challenges along the way. The third one is, you know, it's one thing to talk about these things, but making the investments so that we had the, the, the tools. So it's one thing to say, we want to have in-home advisors, but, you know, what's going to be their job? How do we train them? What tools do we give them? So do the work on giving people the, the, the tools. So some of these, so this is hard. And in the book, hopefully, the reason why I wrote this book is simply because it's hard and I've learned so much all the way, so I wanted to, this is a book for anybody who aspires to lead from a place of purpose and humanity. Who's ready to abandon the old paradigms, and you know is looking for a good handbook on on with some tricks and tools on how to do this?
0: It's brilliant, and it's exactly why we love the book. It's not just something to sit on a shelf, but something to be used as a workbook. I know we're getting close to the end of our time together. I love there's a story. Before you even decided to take the job at Best Buy, you went and secret shop to some of their locations. I want to kind of end with some advice because I think the listeners, I'm sure by now, are excited about some of these really brilliant, practical things they can go do. And as the leader and as the CEO, you share in that example of doing some secret shopping, that there's things we want to just jump in and fix all on our own. What you say Carol Dweck calls the CEO disease. Uh, yes. what, what advice do you have for overcoming that challenge of seeing something wrong as you did when you secret shopped the, the original Best Buys? How do you avoid jumping in and trying to fix it all yourself?
2: That's right. Well, It's, it's very much tied, Dustin, uh, to what, how we define leadership. The old model of leadership is the leader as the superhero who is there to save the day, usually too often driven by power, fame, glory, or money. And the uh, smartest person in the room wants to make sure that everybody knows how smart he or she is, usually <laughs> he. Uh, that is very much 20th century. I think it doesn't work anymore. And for me, it's been my the story of my life has been to evolve from that kind of a leader to a leader that I call the purposeful leader. And there's, there's five, I call this the five B's of purposeful leadership. So I'm going to spell them out first B is be, a, you know, be purposeful. What does that mean? Be clear about your purpose. So spend the time to discover what kind of a leader you want to be and how you want to live your life and the purpose you have in life and spend time discovering the why, the, the dream, the, what drives you, the purpose of people around you and how all of this connects with the purpose of your organization. The second B, which I've already just mentioned is, you know, be be clear about what your role is. Your role is not to be the smartest person in the room. The role, your role is to create the environment in which everybody on your team can blossom and can be the best version of themselves and can, uh, can do extraordinary things. The third B is uh, be clear about who you serve. I told all of the officers at Best Buy, if you're serving yourself or your boss or me as the CEO, and it's okay. I don't have a problem with that except you cannot work here. You can be promoted to being a Best Buy customer which is very exciting but you cannot work here. On the other end, if you're here to serve the frontliners, then we're good. Yeah. The fourth B is be values driven so we all know that integrity is essential and then the fifth B is be an authentic leader. Be yourself. Don't hesitate to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is how we create Human connections. A trap for leaders is to believe that perfection is what we're after. No, perfection is evil. It's by being vulnerable and by letting ourselves be touched in where we are the weakest, and touching people in their weaknesses and loving them in their weaknesses. That's how you build human connection, right? So I love this uh, poem from Khalil Gibran, the Lebanese poet, and I'll end with that. Is work is love made visible. Work is love made visible.
0: It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, I had so much fun today. It's such an honor to spend time with you. Thank you for writing the book. It's brilliant.
2: Dustin, thank you so much. and uh, Everyone, thank you for the work you do. And I bet, uh, maybe, I'm hoping that uh, Dr. Susan Gross, my dentist in Minneapolis, is on the show, on the call, and um, you guys do great things in the world. So For everything you do every day, thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: It's an honor. Thanks for being here. Thank you. You've been listening to another episode of The Burleson Box, where we bring you and your team leaders into the conversation with today's best authors and business leaders. If you enjoyed the program, please be sure to share us with a friend or colleague. You can visit TheBurlesonBox.com sign up to receive my monthly reading list, study guides for each of the books and authors we interview, or give us a call at 1-800-891-7520. We can talk about how a Burleson Box membership, monthly coaching, and our annual leadership conference can work for you and your team leaders. Please be sure to listen each month for new resources that'll help you and your employees serve your patients with excellence. And until next time, remember the words of Jules Renard who said, When I think of all the books still left for me to read, certain of further happiness go and make it a great month i'll see you right here next time on the Box.
1: when's the last time you evaluated your credit card processing statement our partners at stacks are offering a free savings analysis for our listeners where they will actually take your merchant statement with your current processor and show you where you're overpaying Stacks has saved orthodontics practices over 40% per month on payment processing costs. So don't wait. Get your free savings analysis today and see how much you're overpaying for your credit card processing. Go to StacksPayments.com forward slash Burleson seminars to schedule your savings analysis today. Plus, as a special offer for our podcast listeners, if you sign up today, you can get your first two months of payments processing costs waived from Stax. Once again, that's stackspaymentscom forward slash Burleson seminars. Stop overpaying. Start saving.